Brian Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. I'm Ryan Millsap, CEO of Black Hall Studios in Atlanta, and this is the Black Hall Studios podcast. Why does a busy Hollywood studio do a podcast, you might ask? Black Hall is home of great movies like Jumanji The Next Level and fan-favorite series like HBO's Lovecraft Country. But for me, hosting a podcast is an amazing way to meet people and to connect to the community. I learn from each interview and from each person. My roots are actually in America's heartland, and though some folks might think I've gone Hollywood, I'm now just an Atlanta boy who loves to meet new and interesting people. And yes, some of them will just happen to be famous Hollywood types. I'm a dad a businessman, but I also love to learn about the philosophy of human nature. So why a podcast? That's why. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I appreciate you. Today on the podcast, I've got actor, producer, director, Chris de Blasio, a New Jersey native. Don't mess with those guys. De Blasio is a real creative force in today's entertainment business. You've seen Chris's handsome mug on daytime TV and soaps like All My Children, The Guiding Light, and One Life to Live. Chris's goal now? To make Florida's Emerald Coast the next Hollywood, but better. De Blasio traces his love for production and all things movies back to his childhood, where he bonded with his dad over their love for horror movies. Let's hear what Chris has to say about his company, 850 Entertainment, his latest production, Government Records, which is about two guys in the FBI who have to go undercover in the world of hip-hop and start a record label, and how entrepreneurship and entertainment meld creativity, drive, and financial risk. Welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. Today we have Chris de Blasio with us. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks, man. Glad you're here. So I learned a few things on the from the notes that the producers gave me, like you're from New Jersey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what exit did you grow up on? Oh, gosh. You know, so I'm from Bloomfield. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, like the parkway and, and everything like that. It, uh, so here in Georgia, which is nice, uh, is that we don't have to pay tolls every single exit that we go to on like Jersey. But yeah. How did you get started in the uh, film business? Well, so I am, um, I actually started in advertising. I was, you know, I sold yellow pages, believe it or not. <laughs> so it's like being an old timer in the field, but um, I always had a passion for, for movies and TV shows. And, and, and so, you know, being in Jersey, being so close to New York, uh, I went to school for film and television in Manhattan, mm. studied with a whole bunch of private coaches. So I actually got my start in front of the camera. I was on a soap opera called One Life to Live for a little bit. Uh, bounced around on. What some was of, the role? What did you do? Uh, I actually I played the role of a boxer, and so I uh, I actually had to train, which was interesting. And and to this day, I still I still kind of stay a little bit active in it. You know, it's great great workout. But um, but yeah, so I I, I worked on a couple of those shows there there, and then uh, bounced around a little bit. Some of the shows that came into uh, came into New York and got the bug. And uh, I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to be pigeonholed as a soap actor and I always wanted to do more movies. So in 2007, 
moved out to LA, uh, continued to work out there. And actually in 2007, if you remember, it was during a writer strike. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of shows just kind of stopped. Right. And, and so even though I had a couple of credits under my belt, it was difficult to get work. So I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always, you know, kind of just figured out how to, how to make a buck. Right. And so, uh, in 2007, when smartphones were becoming pretty popular, I noticed that there was another need is that websites weren't fitting on smartphones. And so what I did was I hired a bunch of developers to create these mobilized websites, right? So you had to do that pick and zoom thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I sold it to a lot of people in the entertainment business. And that's actually how our uh, marketing company started. So I started doing some marketing for people out in LA. That that business took off. Then I started learning production. So I EP'd a bunch of films and you know, put stuff in festivals and, and learned the business side of the entertainment business, right? And, and so continued to do that. Fast forward to today, I moved back to the East Coast for family uh, with, and this was in Northwest Florida and, and with everything obviously blowing up in, in Atlanta, Georgia, I was like, man, I got to check that out. So in 17 or actually in 16, I started coming up and just, you know, seeing what it was like. And, and I noticed that, you know, this industry was just, it was, it was morphing into something, you know? And, and so 17, we moved up here, moved my executive staff up here. And so been, been here ever since, been rocking and rolling. Well, it's exciting to see because we we need more and more uh, real development producers mm -hmm. in Atlanta, and you're one of the few guys that's actually like developing stuff from the ground up. Yeah, I know you've been developing this um, really cool show, Government Records. Yeah, tell everybody a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, Government Records actually it's 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 based on a true story. They actually tried to do this in D.C. And so uh, it's it's two ATF agents partnered with the Atlanta PD and the FBI, and they had this crazy idea to infiltrate the hip-hop community by creating a fake record label to bring down a drug boss named Sugar Key. And so it's entitled Government Records. And so uh, this was based on a true story that they actually did try to, try to do out in D.C. And it came to me as a feature script. And when uh, Taryn Parsons, who, who's the writer, came to me and I said, you know, let, let me read through this. I was hooked immediately. I was like, this concept is amazing. You know, this is going to work. Um, of course, you know, being here in Georgia, I wanted to bring, you know, Georgia projects. And so we adapted it to be, uh, you know, made out of Atlanta. And um, the characters were just there's just so much going on, right? There's just so, there's there, the depth to these characters that I didn't feel that it would do it justice just being, you know, a one-off movie. I think there's so much more to it. And plus, you know, the entrepreneur producer side of me wanted to get recurring work out of, out of Georgia, right? So, um, so we adapted it into a 10-episode season uh, for our season one, and we've got a story arc for season two and season three. Preferably. <laughs> so. How's it looking on the funding side? Good. Um, so in the beginning, uh, you know, I showed it to some investor friends of mine um, and we actually did get uh, commitments for financial, which is actually weird, which I'm finding out. Like usually that doesn't happen in the TV world. It's a little mm -hmm. bit different with movies and TV, well, you know. And so and so we actually secured a little bit of money up front. And then so what I did was. I financed a proof of concept uh, early on in the year, and so we shot this this proof of concept, and then I shot I started shopping it around town. I saw it, yeah, I, I, and I thought it looked it. fantastic. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so I took that and and I took it to some close friends of mine, you know, and and there's a lot of people in the hip hop community here, and we started showing it to people and. And uh, Big Boy from Outcast, right? He was one of one of our early, uh, or you know, one of the artists that was early on that saw, and he 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 loved it. And so now he's he's one of my co EPs, and he's helping me package. And 
I've got a list of about 22 LOIs and verbal commitments from a lot of people in the hip hop community. And so the structure of the show is, is, you know, cause I look at things on, on two different sides, one creatively and one from a business aspect. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the one side on the business aspect, I look at, well, what is another show kind of like this? And, you know, I was thinking about, um, you know, different shows like uh, the uh, Entourage, right? Mark Wahlberg, Entourage, that type of stuff. So they had these cameos, right, of people in in L.A. in Hollywood, right, that they would show up, characters of themselves, right? And this thing happened when that show came out is like if you weren't in an episode of Entourage, you weren't a part of Hollywood, right? And so having a show that if you're not in an episode of Government Records you not in the hip hop industry. Right. And so, so that started catching on like wildfire. And so a lot of these guys, a lot of, a lot of people in the hip hop community were like, Oh, I want to be a part of, it. I want to be a part of it. So what we're doing is we're creatively figuring out how to enter them in, uh, episodes and all of these different roles. And so it's going to be exciting to see, like, once we, once we get the final, the final package together of exactly who's all involved. How much? What, what do you think the budget is for the first season? So we came in. We came in at a twenty million dollar budget. Um, so roughly around around two million dollars an episode, which is very, which is much on the low side. And we wanted to do that for several reasons. You know, because I, I see this as a anchor show for any network. I, I really do. I think the concept is really really strong. Uh, that the premise is, and and we've already. We've already have ideas for for season two and season three of where we're going to go with this thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be really, really important. So the way we are now and, you know, like the way the world is now, a lot of these networks are looking for really, really good content and are starving for content. And some of these newer platforms that are popping up are willing to grab a hold of something that could be their anchor content to either get more viewers or get more subscribers. And Mm -hmm. I do believe that government records is, is that show for them. I think so. I think, I mean, from what I've seen, I think you're absolutely right that it could be an anchor for somebody Mm. or, or a, a, a reach into a new genre. Right. Right. I mean, th- this kind of a show could go all the way to HBO, mm-hmm. right? Depending on how uh, the quality level you want to push it to. Right. Quality of acting, quality of of uh, cinematography, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could bring it all the way down to something really inexpensive, but the storyline could support a lot of different budgets. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I think I think a lot of that you know also will be dictated by the network because we even talked about. Even some of these smaller platforms, you know, they be because of the type of show it is, they might want to focus more on putting more money behind the marketing on behind it, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the eyeballs, the attention, right, to, to, to get more people to their platform or get more viewership. So, you know, at this point, you know, we're we're in a stage now where we're interviewing uh, a lot of different showrunners uh, for the project, just finding that right that mm-hmm. right person uh, that's going to be part of the team, and then and then seeing what potential deals they have or or networks that you know kind of jive with with the person that we pick i've got a guy that you should meet at some point but we'll talk about that offline okay i think he could be a really good fit as a showrunner for a a show like this okay um he's pretty connected in the hip-hop world um he uh he actually was one of the showrunners uh for narcos okay so is he an atlanta guy uh he's not he's an la guy but um but he spends a lot of time in New York, and he has a lot of friends in Atlanta. In, in Atlanta mm-hmm. And I think he'd love being here. But uh, when I think of like the handful of people that would be perfect for a show like that, he'd at least be worth talking to. Cool. So, yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about 
where you know your imagination is over the next kind of five years, what you're imagining for your company, mm-hmm. what you're hoping to achieve, what you're what you're imagining and hoping to see happen in Atlanta. Early in this podcast, you even mentioned you know being being a creative, you know, and I think that's one of the things that we really need here is is Atlanta-based Georgia creatives, and so that's one of the big things that I'm going to be focusing on over the next five, ten years is getting more content developed here. I think I think that's the biggest piece that we need is is the content developed here, the content financed here, the content shot here, and and so those are some of the things that I'm focusing on. Um, you know, obviously not every show has to be Georgia based, right? But being shot here and, and, and leveraging some of the resources that we have here is something that, that has been on my radar since I moved here. And what I'm finding is there's a lot of undiscovered talent here. And so me, I'm very passionate about giving people their start, giving them, you know, that they might have not had that. Right. And so and so opening up the doors to having the the creatives, the writers rooms, that type of thing, Mm. but having it here uh, in Georgia. What shows that have you seen anything come out of Atlanta that you just love so far? I mean, well, there's there's a lot of shows uh, that are shot here, well, as you know. And, well, shot here and yeah. versus born here. Have you yeah. seen anything born here yet that you just love? Um, I mean, well, you know, you you've got shows like Atlanta and and stuff like right that are very deliberate. Um, I think, you know, they don't they don't necessarily have to be uh, Atlanta based is the content I'm looking for. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be. I I did that with government records because of the content that we're developing. This is like our, it's our launching pad, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's something to, to, to show, Hey, you know, we can, we can get something completely from the ground up made from Atlanta. And that's essentially what government records is on the business side. And so the, the other shows, the other content following after that doesn't necessarily have to be Atlanta. As long as it's, as long as it's originating from here, we have our writer's rooms here, we have all our people collaborating here, and then we're taking that content and, and creating, um, creating an ecosystem, if you will, right? Creating that ecosystem so where we're, we're constantly creating movies and, and shows, and it's it's all coming out of Georgia. Yeah, I mean, the reason I'm asking is because I don't, I don't the, the ecosystem is so early. Yeah. It's hard to identify. Yep. Even like with the show Atlanta, well, okay, it was born by guys in Atlanta, but now it's in L.A. Right, exactly. And yeah. and they don't even film it here. Right. And so, and the money all comes from California. Right. And so, what I'm hoping to be able to tell the story of in the coming years is shows that were born out of um, developers in Georgia partnering with money mm-hmm. that was funded by Georgians yep. resulting in successful shows that make money for investors and developers in Georgia so that they that's what yes. drives the ecosystem. Right, correct. Because right now, um, if you're a entertainment entrepreneur like yourself and you're trying to gather funds to fund something like government records, mm-hmm. you oftentimes have to leave the state. Correct. To do that. Now, in a very intelligent way, you're creating a show that already has social ties to Georgia, which is the hip hop community. Yes. So now you have a good pitch to money that's in Georgia about why they would want to make a television show. But if you didn't have that hook into the hip hop industry, where would you even go to to pitch people? Because there's nobody 
on scale that right. really understands how to make money in movies and television, particularly because Turner no longer, mm-hmm. you know, has the kind of presence that it did here from a green lighting standpoint. Right. Right. Once Turner sold. Yep. Then all that green light capability really left the state and we were left with just production capability. Right. It was manufacturing Far- capability. We were the farm, right? The, the yeah. farm, right? Yep. Which is what we are largely in Georgia yes. is the place where movies and television are made, mm-hmm. but it's not the place where movies and television are conceived. Correct. Or the place where the funding is coming from. Correct. Right. Yep. So um, I, what, what's exciting for me about hearing what you're doing is I think when you're one of the early pioneers in Georgia development. We're going to set Tyler Perry aside because he's a world unto himself, right, right. right? But apart from Tyler, there aren't a lot of guys actually like dreaming it up, getting it funded, making it here, and having the, the profits all roll back to Georgia as well. Right. So that's, I think, you know, incredibly exciting. Yeah. No, I, I think a lot of people are still try, trying to figure it out here, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, but for me as an entrepreneur, like, it's Georgia – is like its own thing. Like the entrepreneurial spirit is great. Mm. You know, like people think outside the box. Like, you know, New York has its own thing. LA has its own thing. And I've been in both markets and I understand it. But like with with Georgia, you know, because somebody even came to me, like a writer's like, you actually have money for your TV pitch? That's not normal, (laughs) you know? And I was like, well, what's wrong with that? You know I mean? And so, and so I think we have more and more people that are open to start thinking outside the box that it doesn't always have to be the traditional way. I mean, look, I I started our entertainment marketing company out of sheer frustration of not being able to raise funding traditionally from, from investors by, you know, utilizing product placement and advertising dollars to fund projects. Right. And so those types of things. And I think what we're going to see is we're going to start seeing some of these other businesses start spawning up around the entertainment business. Cause like you mentioned, you know, it's all about the ecosystem around here. How do we, how do we get the money to be invested here, but then also the profits investing back into the ecosystem so we can keep expanding. And that, that is something that that I'm very passionate about that I'm, I'm continuing to work on. So I have this thesis that, inside every entrepreneur is someone who has either anger or frustration. Hmm. And I heard a little bit of that where you said, well, I just did it because I was frustrated. I just did it because I, I wanted to see something happen that didn't exist. Where do you think that your entrepreneurial spirit, like psychologically, how do you trace the roots Hmm. of your entrepreneurial spirit? (laughs) So um, I'll never forget. My mother used to tell me stories like I would try to sell my finger paints on the street corners when I was like seven years old. Like, so it's just been something that has been in me since, since I was a kid, Uh, you know, and and it's funny finger paints, right? Because it's both the creative and the business guy, right? All in one. And I'm like this really strange hybrid to where, you know, I've, I've, I've you know, I've, I've studied acting. I've, I've done that. I've, so I've got all that side. And then uh, out of that, I've created companies to support my acting career, support my producing career. And so um, it's just been with me my whole life. And I think I'm a very, like, I don't get stuck in the planning phase. Right. And mm-hmm. so when I start a company or I start something like that, I just go, I just go and do. And I think, I think that is something that, um, when I, when I learn, cause I always believe in winning and learning. And when you're constantly learning, you're constantly developing and making yourself better. And I think the, the problem is a lot of people are scared to just even do anything. Right. So they just kind of stay in this analysis paralysis type, type thing where I just go and I'll, I'll continue to keep doing it and, and learn from it. 
But what do you think the the life experiences, maybe positive or the traumas, because oftentimes it's like childhood traumas yeah. that lead to a place where you say, I don't wait, I just go. But that's a mantra that was oftentimes born out of some sort of life experience that was difficult. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, I definitely can answer that one. Um, You know, uh, I did not come from a family of wealth. Um, My mother and my father separated when I was very, very young. Uh, My dad moved to Florida. Right. And so um, it was it was tough. You know, when I when I got you know, I was raised by my mom and and um, and 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 times were tough. And I didn't like I mean, even as a young child, like you can kind of sense that and so for me it's like well i gotta go out and i gotta go do something i gotta go make it happen right and nobody's gonna just do it for me so let me figure out a way to to make finances and you know i'll just come up with these ideas it's funny because like i have this book that that like i'll wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and i'll write an idea down you know and i'll just i'll just keep writing these down and and Look, not every idea is great, right? But but when you when you start recording all that stuff, you know, and you, you take a look at, hey, one of these things are going to be a, a winner, right? And and so, um, it, to your to your question, you know, I think it, it comes out of that is like I never I don't want to go back to that. You get to a point in your life where you, you can give back, right? And and that's what I'm you know I'm I'm at that stage now where I've got some success in my career and and I really like helping I, I find that there's so many other people so many kids out there you know and college kids and stuff like that that just don't have direction and so I do a lot of speaking at at colleges and film students and and, and stuff and just you know trying to help guide them you know in their career and a lot of that comes from because I didn't have that growing up hmm. who had who are some of the people that had the most influence on your self-belief Hmm. Uh, well, self-belief took years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had, I've had, a, a, you know, a lot of different people in, in different areas of my life. So I've had, you know, really good friend, you know, so when I was selling yellow pages, uh, you know, still very good, close, uh, colleague of mine that, that, um, speaks, you know, into business kind of gave me that business mindset. Right. And so, you know, he was a manager over there and, I think I think the self belief comes from like a deep rooted faith, right? And and so you have to. Um, I, I say this: whatever it is that you do, that's going to keep you going, has got to be bigger than yourself. It's got to be bigger than yourself. And and I think that that's what pulls you through a lot of situations. Because let's face it, life is hard. It's not easy. It's hard. And and so if you're whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's a business that you're starting or a movie project that you're trying to launch. deep rooted, if there's a bigger meaning behind what you're doing, it's going to get you through those difficult times. What's the bigger meaning for you? Oh gosh. Um, for me, it's showing people that it can be done, right? It's showing people that maybe are going through a, a, a situation or struggling that you can, if you, if you're dedicated and you continue to push forward, you, you, you can, you can achieve your dreams, right? And and I think I think never giving up and continuing to go after what you truly truly believe in. And another part of that too is, um, you know, my father my father passed. So the reason why I left LA is because my dad wasn't in the best of health, and I moved to be closer with him. And I got one year with my dad before he passed. Mm. And you know, most you know a lot of people don't know this, but you know my me when I was a young kid. So my my mom my dad were separated, so he moved to Florida, and so I would only see him. Uh, you know, on, on spring break or summers. And that one year 
that I left LA and I spent time with him, we were got we got to celebrate our birthdays, every holiday, everything together. And that was the best decision I made. And it wasn't until he passed that a, that a close friend of mine said, you, you realize why you've been in the entertainment business this whole time or why you always pursued acting? He said, well, I never really thought of you. He goes, your dad. Your dad always used to document and record. We used to write, I used to write little scripts and we, we would like shoot these little little movies and stuff with his shoulder mount camera, right? And, and, and I realized that's where... I got that's how I got back into the entertainment business or that's that's why it's so it's so deeply rooted in my childhood and so that allows me to keep him alive right and keep keep that memory going and and um, you know, I was on another podcast and, and, you know, they, they were asking me some questions about this and, and um, my dad always used to say how proud he was of me. And I'll never forget that. And for a father to give that to a son is amazing, right? Yeah. It's a it's a really good thing. And so I still hear that voice echo in everything I do. And so to your point, like I mean that's that's another big reason why I continue to go on and do what I do. So uh, I think there's motivators that are the positive motivators. I think they're the motivators that are the negative. And I, I think of it as the things we're running towards mm. and the things we're run, running away from. Right. Right, so I hear you talking about running towards the um, approval of your father, mm. the 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 pride of your father, mm. the um, having him be proud of you. Mm. Right? What other things do you think you're running towards? Like psychologically, what are you running towards? Creativity sounds like you're motivated by creativity, imagination, mm-hmm. expression. Mm-hmm. Right? And then what do you think the things are that you're running away from? Sounds like one of them might be like you felt uncertainty, financial uncertainty yes. in your youth, right? But talk yeah. about some of those things that you think you're running towards, and some of the things you think you're running away from. Um, well, the things that I'm running towards, I, I, I definitely, oh, obviously, I, I'm a creative, right? And so, creating things, you know, is something that I, I really do enjoy. So, obviously, it makes sense for me to be in development and packaging because, you know, and, and being an entrepreneur, just creating things. And, and also with that, so I'm an investor by heart as well. So if, whether it's a, a, a movie project or whether it's a business, you know, venture or something, being able to help that person, uh, achieve their, uh, achieve their goals or their dreams, whether it's, you know, green lighting a project or whether it's, it's launching a successful business that then helps a lot of other people. Right. So there's that. Um, and then, yeah, the other finance, the other component of running away from is, is the whole financial, like, you know, it's difficult, but one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm learning is that, um, if you, if you are, uh, it, again, going back to it's bigger than yourself and, and you realize that, you know what, you can get through this no matter how difficult the situations and you, and you stay focused. And there's a lot of people hurting out there right now, you know? And, and so I think, you know, always looking, looking towards the brighter days ahead, you know, if, if you're in a financial difficult situation, just keep pushing through it. You know, I mean, that, so, so yes, I'm running away from, from that, that piece of it. And, and what I'm learning through the process is just enjoy, enjoy the road, enjoy the journey. You know, I, and I, I talk a lot about this on, on, you know, whether it's on stage or, or in other podcasts is that, you know, there's people that get out of school, right. Or, or they're, they're, there's a career path that they're going after. They, they, their journey may not and go the, the way that they think it's going to go. I started out as an actor. I never knew I'd be an entrepreneur. 
I never knew that I would be able to create things and create businesses. I never even thought I'd be on this side of the camera, but my career path took me that way. Learn to enjoy the ride. Mm -hmm. Life is a journey. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been divorced about seven years. I actually just got engaged. So congratulations. I'm man. excited yeah, about that. Yeah, that's awesome. But my, you know, my children grew up with divorced parents. Mm -hmm. And so I, I always like to ask people who come from families where their parents are divorced, what were, what were the things that were the hardest about that? Mm -hmm. And what are the things you think that were actually benefits? Mm. That, that's a great question. Um, so my, my parents divorced when I was about two years old. So I was in a position where I, I couldn't, I couldn't remember all of the things before that, but I will say, you know, one of the things, so I have a, I had a uh, stepfather, right? So my mom remarried, um, my dad, uh, married, got divorced and then, and then, um, you know, uh, was actually with his first girlfriend that after he left my mom, which is interesting, wonderful woman, by the way. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and he, he found happiness with, you know, they found happiness. And for me, um, it was difficult because for me and my stepdad, we never really saw eye to eye um, until until later on in life. Like we're best of friends now. Like he he literally helped me through some pretty dark situations in my life. And so uh, I'm very thankful. He's also a cancer survivor. And like so like the fact that he's still in my life and, he, you know, it's, it's a blessing. It really is. Um, so so but growing up, that was very difficult for me. You know, it's like, who is this other man in my life? Like, what's going on? You know, mm -hmm. and I was a teenager and I know I was probably a pain in the butt, right? Like, <laughs> I know mm -hmm. it was, probably wasn't very easy to deal with me either, but um, that was difficult. But I will say, you know, I did have, um, I did have two father figures kind of speaking into my life and I was able to kind of <sighs> form my own opinions you know, inform, you know, take, take a little bit from here, take a little bit from there. And so that actually was a benefit in my life because, um, you know, both, both guys, you know, both men are amazing in their own way. And, and I think that that right there was, uh, was a blessing to have that. So listen, you know, my mother, and my father's marriage didn't work out. It's not a big deal. I mean, it. some, some people are just different that way. Right. And so, um, for me, I, I look at, again, I try to always look at, at the positive outcome. And if I didn't have that experience, who knows, I, I might not be where I am today because I would have never had that advice and those tools to get here. Yeah, you, you didn't grow up in an opinion bubble. Mm -mm. Yeah. Right. You were right. getting different perspectives in a way that, um, in no disparagement to families that stay together. Mm-hmm. You just oftentimes in those families um, sometimes live inside of a contained unit mm -hmm. that doesn't allow for Correct. as much diversity of conversation. Right. Um, now, on the other side, you grew up oftentimes with maybe more stability mm -hmm. on some level. Mm -hmm. And so then you're making those trades. Right. right. And navigating. Now, I look at like when you talk about your the the uncertainties in your youth. um, that led you to be a doer, mm -hmm. right? A survivor yep. at many levels. Like you took responsibility to chart your own course and then make sure you were committed to getting there, mm -hmm. um, which is fundamentally what entrepreneurship is, mm -hmm. is imagination and determination. Right. Right. So right. you not only imagine it, but then you go for it. Yep. Um, you had the benefit of being in an environment where you were forced to go for it. Right. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so that uh, took whatever innate entrepreneurship lived inside of you mm-hmm. and lit a fire under it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, also what I've learned about you know myself is is not only am I a visionary, but I'm also a strategies guy. Mm-hmm. And and when you're a visionary and a strategies person, you know. Not only are you able to see the final product, but you're also able to see how to get there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of young entrepreneurs that that I that I mentor that that you know they've got great ideas, but they're only ideas until they put a process behind it. You've got it. You've got to know how you're going to get from here to here. And so a lot of times when I come up with a business idea or I come up with some sort of concept, how do I get there? That's I, I enjoy putting those steps in place. And then following those steps to, to completion. Mm-hmm. What are the areas that you see in yourself that are weaknesses where you have to find other people to come around you to fill in those gaps? That's a great question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I and that, that to that point, like any leader needs to surround themselves with with um, strengths that they're not so strong at. So uh, you know. There's a there's a few different ones, right? So I am <laughs> I am the visionary, so I am always coming up with ideas. And so instead of me just spinning out of control with ideas, I have people in my organization that are like, okay, let me run this by you. All right, yeah, no, no, no maybe this would work, maybe this won't work. Let's figure this out, right? And having having that sounding board, um, you know, the I've got a very busy schedule, so I'm very very you know, very happy to have somebody that, that, uh, takes care of, you know, my scheduling and my booking and, and stuff like that too, be, where I can just kind of keep staying focused and, um, you know, grinding ahead. So for anybody out there, you know, if you're in a leadership position, make sure you surround yourself with people that are going to offset your strengths. Do you, it sounds to me like you would not consider yourself to be a linear person. Mm-hmm. So then do you have more linear people around you? Give me the definition here. Give me yeah, a, like yeah. so. So imagine when you're when you come up with a creative idea, mm-hmm. and you then say uh, these are the steps we're going to have to do to you know to get here. The actual doing of the steps oftentimes requires a A to B to C kind of path. Day whereas to day. oftentimes, yeah, day to day. Yeah. Oftentimes, an entrepreneurial personality um, will go A to C to F, mm-hmm. right? And there will be gaps, and you get to F. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you get to you get get to the destination, whatever the destination is. But then over time, you start to learn. I need to bring people in, yes, who will make sure all these things get completed. Yes, that don't really they're not essential to getting there, mm-hmm. but they just make getting there better. Yes, well, it, it's all about being conscious of your time. Where mm-hmm. is your time best spent? So, the the thing about time is, it doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter if you're a billionaire, a trillionaire. It doesn't matter. We all have the same amount of time. Nobody's figured out how to make more of it. You can't buy more of it, right? It, we all have the same amount. So the way you spend your time dictates how successful you're going to be. Mm-hmm. And so when you are an entrepreneur, let's say you're a visionary, and, uh, you know, I say like, Pretty much everything I've created, I've done all of it in the beginning by myself so I can understand every single job in, in whatever entity I'm doing, right? And then I hire people and put them in a position where they excel at. It's natural for them, right? So so like the day-to-day tasks or account management or all this other stuff, any of these other things that is not my complete strength, I'm going to put somebody in place. 
And because it's something that comes naturally to them, they're going to actually enjoy what they do. Whereas if there's a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs or business owners out there that try to hold on to everything and, and it's fear that grips them and they don't get to that next level. They never break that ceiling. And so when you can hire the right individuals for the job to free your time up to be better spent, that's how you grow as an organization. Yeah, I agree with that. If you don't know your weaknesses, then you can't hire to, right. to, uh, to fill those gaps. Yep. Now, um, Sarah, the producer here, had told me that you and your dad um, love to watch horror movies together. <laughs> yeah. How old were you when you discovered yeah, that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I was kind of crazy. I was frightening. <laughs> I, I, you know, when I, horror movies for me as a kid were just absolute death. Yeah. They, they haunted me for years. Yeah. Yeah, it probably wasn't the healthiest thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, 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 for some reason, like vampire movies or anything I had to do with vampires always attractive. Of course, Nightmare on Elm Street and 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 uh, Friday the third, you know, Friday the Thirteenth and, mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. Right? Halloween, yeah, Halloween, mm -hmm. and and you know, um, trying to think of all the Michael Myers and all that uh -huh. stuff. Yeah, I mean that that was that was pretty much it. I think my dad, you know, generally like really liked the horror movies, and so I was just like there, and I'm like I would watch it, and yeah, I'd probably have some nights of a little difficult sleeping, <laughs> but and then some nights I just went right to bed. So I don't know, you know, maybe there's something twisted with me. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, how how old do you think you were when you started watching horror movies with your dad? Oh gosh. Oh, I hope my mom's not going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, no, I I, uh, I was I was pretty young. I was pretty young. Um, because I look back on IMDb on some of the dates of these things, and I'm like, I was five years old. Like, what was I doing watching this movie at five years old? You know, right. it's so, and so um, yeah, I was, I was, I was pretty young. Yeah. And so then, when do you think you made the transition from I'm watching this because my dad wants to to I really like horror movies. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it was it was a genre. I. I I don't know. I think I, I think some of the long series, like like Freddy Krueger and all this other stuff, like it, it, it you you kind of you get attached because you want to see what's going to happen next. You know, when when you know Nightmare on Elm Street came out, like it's a long. I don't know how many there are, like thirteen or something like that. Like there's a lot. So you're spanning across several years, and so you kind of follow this character and you follow the storyline, you know? And so maybe that's prop, maybe that's why I like series, you know, it's like, you know, because it was a movie, but essentially what are series now? Mm. They're mini movies. That's it. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so yeah, so I think, I think, I think that's, that's kind of like just following the, the story where it goes. Are you still a horror fan? Uh, horror movies are cool. I like them. I, you know, I think, I think on the, uh, the, a lot of them are cheaper to make. <laughs> so I think the business side of me is like, Oh, I like horror movies cause they make money if they're done well. Right. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, there's, I don't think there's a specific genre of movie. I, I think if you're talking to me as a, uh, EP as a, as a producer, I'm going to say the one that makes money because <laughs> that's the biggest thing. What does the market want? Mm. Which br does bring up another point. I do get a lot of filmmakers that have a passion project. And I'm like, dude, th there's no market for this. There's no market for your passion project. I mean, it's great. You can do that at some point, but if you're just new in your career and you're trying to make an investor money, know what your market is because they that's what their goal is is to make their money and so um figure out what the market wants and then go make that so give me the give me the not an elevator pitch that's too short but give me the pitch on financially how you imagine government records makes money from like 
this is how much money we're going to spend to this is how much money we think we can make. Um, like, whole, it, these are just yeah. general numbers. I'm not asking for a spreadsheet. Yeah. I'm just saying, one of the things that people listen to this podcast, there's a lot of Georgians who listen to this podcast. Yeah. And Georgians are, for the first time, thinking through how to make money in film and television. Right. So I say to you, teach a Georgian mm-hmm. how you'd make money if you invested in government records. Right. So th- it's interesting because th- this could be several different models. We're talking about a TV show, not a movie. And so do the TV model. Yeah. So TV show and network can come. This is sometimes networks don't want you to have money, which is which is interesting. They'd rather just come in and just get the whole thing. So in, in that sense, you know, it, it's it, it's a little bit difficult, but there could be um, like, let's take Netflix or something for some for that for that reason. Right. Um a company, a streaming platform could essentially make, uh, so say you have your budget, right? And they could essentially make an offer. So your budget says $20 million, right? They can come in and say, okay, we'll give you 25 million or 30 million or 40 million, whatever, all in. And we'll, we'll take that, right? And, and you're done, right? And so you're just paid out. Sometimes there's platforms that say, okay, we'll fund your project. We'll backstop it, right? We'll fund your project, but you need to go find that $20 million. We'll give you 30 for it, but you need to go fund it. You need to go find the investor and fund it. So in that case, it, it becomes a little bit easier because now you find somebody that's, that's going to front the money, you do the production, but they already have their baked in profit. Which again, I don't. A lot of the stuff I say is not necessarily always traditional because I'm an out of the box thinker. But these are some of the things that I'm exploring. Yeah. So the in the in the second version, you'd go pitch Netflix or Apple TV or Amazon or somebody that's doing. I would think of that as like a negative pickup. Mm-hmm. Yep. A, yeah. Know, exactly. So, negative. Pickup. So yep. so they say if you actually get this thing made, we'll buy it for thirty. Yep. But we're going to put the onus on you to actually get it made for twenty. Mm-hmm. How much? How much flexibility do they have if you make it for twenty and they hate it? <laughs> how good is your contract? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you know, at at the end of the day, it goes both ways because you make it and it's amazing. And then you start showing other networks, and now it's a bidding war. So it's a two way street. No, it's exactly. I mean, and that's what they're buying is they're buying an an option, yep. like a capped option. Coca Cola, uh, in a in a in a parallel universe, um, after Vitamin Water sold for four billion, mm. then Coca Cola decided that that was never going to happen again. And what they started doing is they started investing in early startups of uh, beverages. And they would embed in those early investments options to buy more as there was success. Mm. So that by the time it, they, that something got to the size of vitamin water, mm-hmm. they would have already owned 80% of it at a $500 million valuation. And they buy the whole thing for a billion dollar valuation. And they never give it the opportunity to become worth $4 billion. Mm. And so they can do that with a lot more companies and never allow then for something to get so big that they have to go buy it for four billion. Wow! In a similar way, the entertainment companies—that's what they'd like to do with negative pickup dollars—is mm-hmm. they like to say, "If you can get it made, we will buy it for X." When they know that 
if you already had it made, it might cost them two X. Right. Mm -hmm. But by giving you that negative pickup guarantee at 30, then you can go to the investors and say, if we get this done for 20, we're making 30. And so the investors are then buying into more certainty. Correct. Right. Which is nice too. Mm -hmm. It's harder to raise money with uncertainty. Right. Exactly. And in the entertainment industry, when you're raising money, you're raising money for something that's yet to be produced. Right. Not totally dissimilar to when you're raising money for a real estate development. Mm-hmm. It's a yet to be created. Yep. Um, you're entrusting that production. You're entrusting those people to actually get it made. Correct. That's where the risk is. And, and the same is true in development. Yep. The difference is in development, you still have land, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of the day, you're going to have land, and you might have totally botched what you put on the land, but you still have land maybe if you mm-hmm. don't have too much debt and it gets taken away. Mm-hmm. But on the on the entertainment side, when you take that money – and turn it into some product. Mm-hmm. That product is kind of ones and zeros. It's either good, yep, or it's not, yep. And it either makes money, or it doesn't. And you can't go back really and fix it right. very often. It's really hard to do anything with any of that footage. And that's what's trying to you know trying to educate and explain IP. That's what investors are buying, right? They're buying IP. And so sometimes you know, so there's there's many different deal structures. You know, obviously there's slates, right? So there's different ways you can mitigate risks. And 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 for the audience that doesn't know what a slate is, it's different types of movies and different genres to mitigate the risk, right? So if dramas aren't gonna be, so you're doing a drama, a horror, and a comedy. I shouldn't say a comedy, but horror and drama, you know, it's mitigating risk. So, so let's say next year, you know, a, a drama is not doing that well, but you know, a, lo- a lower budget horror is you're, you're covering the risk that your drama is going to bomb. Right. And so these, these are other, other avenues that investors can look at is like, Oh, ha- you know, l- let me look at slates as opposed to just one-offs. I've heard some funny stories about slates over the years where, Investors show up and uh, you know to, to be a part of a slate, and somebody like let's say Warner Brothers, let's say let's say Warner Brothers is gonna is gonna let you in on a slate, mm-hmm. and you don't know exactly everything that's in that slate, and toward the end of the deal, suddenly things start disappearing and coming in, and the thing and 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 the reality is is that Warner Brothers doesn't necessarily know what's gonna work or not work. They're guessing too, mm-hmm. and so like I remember hearing a story about a slate that a guy bought into. And the entire thing bombed, except for Guardians of the Galaxy, and they made two times in their movie. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and the funniest part about yeah. the Guardians is that the Guardians was shoved into the slate at the last second because somebody inside of wherever freaked out and said, this is not going to work. We got talking trees. and <laughs> <laughs> Right. Right? Right. Because they started to second guess themselves. Right. right. Because it hadn't been proven, right? And they said, "Man, we got—we're going to sell a piece of that, right? And try to you know hedge our bets yep. and whatever." And the difficult part inside of Hollywood is that there is no pure math, mm-hmm. yeah, as to what's going to work, why it's going to work, what actors. Every actor has bad films. Yep. Yep. Every actor sign up for films that have bad scripts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can't yep. you can't make you can't predict everything, right? Sometimes scripts that you think are bad turn out to be cult classics, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's, and you can't predict that. So um, it's not an easy industry to get rolling, but once the capital starts rolling and having success, yep. then it can really explode. Yeah, because I think people actually see how it works, right? They, they start to, I mean, and that's one of the big things, you know, just talking to to our Georgia audience, you know, is is 
you know, a lot, there's a lot of investors that are, you know, in, have invested in real estate for so long and stuff like that. It's kind of hard for them to understand. But once you can cut seeing a return on it, then it becomes something real. And it's like, you know, I was thinking when you were talking about this slate, I was thinking about REITs, right? I mean, not too much different. Like your your money's you know distributed amongst a whole bunch of real estate, and sometimes you don't know exactly what's in your portfolio. You should, but sometimes you don't. You definitely probably don't if you're buying reads. Yeah, and so and so you just gotta you gotta look. This is another thing to add to your portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 come on, I mean it's the movie business. I mean it's fun, you know. I mean <laughs> and you get access to things that you normally wouldn't get access to if you were just investing in multifamily units. <laughs> That's true. There is there is a high happiness factor in this yeah. industry. Um, people from top to bottom, I think, really enjoy what they do. Yeah, uh, being around the industry is is invigorating. Uh, there is so much creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is so much uncertainty and people solving problems that haven't been solved before because every movie is uh, unique to itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have a it does have a a, a real warm characteristic of joy. Yeah. That kind of permeates everything here. Well, also, too, I mean, even the projects that are being produced, I mean, how awesome would it be to be like, you know what, I was the financier behind that project that changed the world, you know, or changed, you know, people's, you know, emotions on this topic, whatever, right? I mean, there's just something about that, that, you know, you can't really do that in any other investment vehicle. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, we are out of time, but this has been fantastic. Thank you for taking the time to come by Black Hall today. Yeah, Ryan, thanks so much. I had a blast. I'm Ryan Millsap, and this is the Black Hall Studios Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios Podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at, at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.millsap. Black Hall Studios.